Hello, this is Katherine Gregory, and today we'll be mapping miscarriage and mindset on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on how to use the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be talking with Katherine Gregory. Katherine is a holistic fertility coach, intuitive healer, meditation instructor, and creator of the Fertile Being Method, a holistic protocol helping women successfully achieve motherhood since 2004. Her clients have naturally overcome a range of conditions to achieve pregnancy success, including repeat miscarriage, blocked tubes, uterine fibroids, and unexplained infertility. In addition to her work with private clients, Catherine enjoys training medical practitioners like you to incorporate the fertile being method into their own practices. Today we'll be talking about miscarriage and mindset, so let's get started. Catherine, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad you're here, Catherine, and I'm so eager to talk to you about mindset as it relates to miscarriage and fertility issues. So I know you focus more on the mindset arena. Can you articulate what mindset has to do with pregnancy, fertility, and miscarriage? It's such a huge component of the journey to become pregnant and become a mother, and especially for the women who've struggled experienced miscarriage, beliefs and stories about their Mm. body feeling like they're a failure definitely impact their ability to conceive a future pregnancy that's sustainable. So it's very much a big piece of the puzzle that I think is overlooked in Western medicine. And how do you see it overlooked when you're working with people and they come in and they're trying every method to get pregnant? What's your take on how to address that as a clinician? Oftentimes, if they've experienced a pregnancy loss, they've already been, you know, working with a doctor from the medical side. And so they usually come in maybe with some test results explaining why they miscarried or maybe not. Maybe it's unexplained. And so there's some confusion. They don't really know the next step to take. And they may or may not have been emotionally supported around the loss of Mm. their pregnancy. So that is a first place that I start with them is addressing the emotional aspects of grief and loss. So important. And that grief, as I know from my own loss, not with pregnancy, but with my husband, it lingers in our cells. We hold it and it also elicits some fear. How is that dealt with in the process of then getting pregnant? It depends on the client, where they are in their process, if they've had support, counseling, maybe they haven't talked about that aspect of it at all. So I really meet the client where they are in their journey. And sometimes they 
might need additional emotional support, but just holding the space for them to feel the feelings and not push them away. That has a big impact on whether or not they're actually able to conceive a future pregnancy if they haven't dealt with the grief and loss. There's so much fear there of a future loss. We tend to harden our hearts or build up walls around our hearts to protect ourselves from a future loss if we've experienced that. And so just helping support them and feeling the feelings so that fear isn't running the story is the first place I start with them. And so there is some deep exploration around fear and their relationship to grief. That's so important to then think about that grief and that fear and that loss as a trigger for what could be preventing the outcomes that we want. How do you help somebody shift into the mindset of possibility when all those walls have been built up? For my clients, the first step that I really encourage them to do is begin to explore their feelings Mm -hmm. through the journaling process. And so I work in the arena of the chakras. And Mm -hmm. so we really talk about the energy of emotion and how energy can really impact your physical health and well-being, especially emotions that you have not processed or allowed to be there. And so there is a journaling process that just really helps them connect to their real feelings and allow their feelings to be there. And that in that allowance, you know, there is often a shift and an ability to move through um, fear and move through grief and really get to a place of more hope. So many of us women these days are very what's called type A, right? We're very driven. We're used to putting efforts in to achieve something and it happening. And when this happens, it feels like it's a dismantling, not just of that particular effort, but of our whole identity. I'm wondering how that comes up for you or if that's even true. Am I the only one who's type A? (laughs) (laughs) Or not. I didn't think so. No, I know. Well, I do see that a lot with fertility clients in general, Um, you know, this uh, desire to control the process and to really try to control a process that is ultimately out of our control. And so there is an aspect of surrender that must be considered, and that isn't always easy. And so really using those tools of journaling and mindfulness and just becoming more self-aware can help them to relax a little bit as far as trusting and timing that's out of their control. Learning to trust their body again, that's huge. Really huge, it really is. When we look at that node in the central part of the matrix, the area that I call the soup, where everything interrelates, and we focus on that mind, spirit, emotions, community. We've been talking about mind and mindfulness. Where does the realm of spirit or the emotions or community fall into the conversation that you're holding with your clients? Each person's journey is so unique and each person's understanding of who they are on a spiritual level beyond who they are as a human in this world is different and unique. And so I approach each client, you know, where they are and meet them where they are in that understanding. But I think so much of this journey, especially for the type A's, is the ability to trust in a source outside of themselves, whatever that may be, mm-hmm. whether that's God and church and a religion or if it's just nature nature and the universe, whatever they may call that, 
that's a huge piece of helping, especially the type A's to really let go and trust in a bigger source than themselves. It's interesting thinking about mindfulness and the mindfulness we bring to loss and miscarriage, how we do release and surrender, use the word surrender and let go of a little bit of control. Where do we sit with that? Where do we hold that opportunity for possibility? I often get caught in the realm of what's appropriate manifestation, what's hope, what's trust, what's possibility, what happens with these women after this loss? And how are you helping with the exploration and release of that? It's so personal for each woman, right? I think the journaling process really helps them explore their inner world in a way I couldn't or right. any other practitioner, you know, really couldn't. And so it's about empowering them in their mm. inner journey and really helping them explore who they are and how they perceive their world and and really relying on and, and coming back to sources of support that are bigger than them. I actually just got off a phone call with a client this afternoon who experienced a miscarriage six months ago and has really returned back to her faith and mm. her upbringing was Catholicism and Christian. And she had really kind of rejected that until this experience. And now she's really coming back to it to rely upon it as just a deeper source of support and strength for her in a time where she felt really lost and confused. Mm, so interesting. You mentioned journaling. I'm wondering for those clinicians listening who may be more kind of scientific in their approach, in addition to making sure that a patient has the right support from someone like you or someone who's helping with the psychological aspect, how do you talk to people about journaling? Do they have resistance ever? What's the conversation around journaling? Yes. Certain people do have a lot of resistance <laughs> around journaling. They think it's much easier to not feel the feelings. But ultimately, by not feeling the feelings or exploring what's underneath, we tend to cause ourselves more dis-ease. And that's how I usually phrase that. It seems like it's the easy route to shove it under the carpet or not look at it. But it's really causing us more physical issues in our health and as well as just emotional instability, I would say. Yes. So the feeling of the feelings and the journaling process can actually be opening a door to healing. And so that's usually how I phrase it. I have specific journaling prompts to get them started. And a lot of people say, well, I'm not a writer and you don't have to be a writer. And so a lot of times just the actual moving of your pen on the paper is an emotional release in and of itself. Just allowing it to move out of the body can really allow space within the body if that makes sense. It definitely does make sense. I'm thinking both about these shoulds that we have to go into a mindfulness practice, the shoulds of meditation, a should of journaling. Where is that bridge between, oh, I know I should be doing this and that acceptance of the taking on a new routine or a new habit that ultimately is going to allow for that surrender. 
That's a great question. Yes, a lot of women going through a fertility struggle with loss, they're told to do so many things, right? There's so many shoulds. Yes. And so that can be stressful in and of itself, the shoulds. And so I really encourage my clients to find what resonates for them and doesn't feel stressful and to really approach the mindfulness practices or the journaling or the looking within in a way that doesn't overwhelm them. And mm-hmm. so some that's just baby steps for particular clients. And each person is different in how they might approach that. But yes, the shoulds are never good. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have so many shoulds that we should be doing. And <laughs> if we forget that it's about owning it. I love that you're talking about a really bio-individual approach to mindfulness. And part of that is being seen, the therapeutic relationship that we have with our clinicians, with our partners, where does community and relationships and networks, where does that fall into the work that you do with people post miscarriage? I think support is vital, especially after loss to feel like you can talk freely about your emotions and Mm. that that is encouraged. Not every practitioner is comfortable with exploring that with a client. So I definitely encourage extra support in that regard for practitioners who are working with miscarriage and loss, but don't really have that scope of practice to talk about the emotional aspects, because that piece of it is so vital for their ability to move forward with whatever is the next step. If we look at the right side of the matrix, what I call the skills section, is there anything that comes up in those areas that you are addressing with your client population in relationship to mindfulness and miscarriage? All of that is a part of the work. All of that is vital. Appropriate sleep and relaxation, especially with stress and grief. A lot of times there is depression that comes in that and or not sleeping. So we really address exercise, nutrition. All of that is so important for the stress response in the body and to be able to move forward with the next steps of whatever protocol they may be on to really sustain a healthy future pregnancy. Relationships, all of that is is vital. And like we just talked about the support, being able to feel seen, feel heard and have a space for that, especially around loss and grief. So important. And I think this conversation extends to any experience with loss and grief. It really resonates throughout. I loved the story you told about the client that you spoke with earlier today about faith and finding her faith. Are there any other outcomes you can share from a particular client or a client population that speak to this realm of mindfulness as it relates to post-miscarriage? I do think, you know, a lot of times we buy into the stories that we hear about pregnancy and miscarriage and advanced maternal age, right? And so there's a lot of beliefs about our fertility that I see, you know, clients taking on and, you know, they're well over 35. So therefore, they're not able to sustain a healthy pregnancy. They start believing these stories. And so a lot of that mindset is really examining what their beliefs are, listening to how they speak about their fertility and really helping them reframe how 
they see their fertility story and how they talk about their fertility story. And an example comes to mind right away of a 44-year-old client I had, and she was working for many years, six years, I think, with doctors, IUI, Clomid, a lot of different ways. And she was 44 by the time she came to see me. She had a sperm donor at that time, and Mm -hmm. then she fell in love in the process of Mm. the six years. And so she finally had a partner and they were meeting all the tests. They had all positive tests, results coming back, healthy sperm, healthy eggs, regular cycles. And so in her mind, she was beating herself up because she was well over the advanced maternal age. And she just thought that was the reason she wasn't getting pregnant. All their tests were positive. So it really helped her reframe her story around that. There was no reason physically that she wasn't getting pregnant. And I think it was her mindset that shifted. And she and her partner decided to take the summer off from all the doctor appointments and all the IUIs. And in that time, she really changed her mindset. I think it was Janet Jackson had gotten pregnant at age 40. (laughs) Perfect. And it was a perfect example for her to go, hey, somebody else did it. I can do it too. And then lo and behold, she became pregnant naturally on her own and gave birth last year to her first child at age 45. I love it. What a great success story. And yeah, we do need to change our mindset to yes, I can. Yes, we can. We can do this. And I love that you use the term reframe, one of my favorite words. Catherine, thank you so much for the work you do and for sharing so much with us. I think it's really important, no matter what type of practice that we have, that we bring mindset into the work that we do, especially to achieve results. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The 15-Minute Matrix team includes music by my son, Gilbert Nakayama, and Carla Schaefer on sound production, as well as Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook. You can visit us and hear more episodes at 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode ready and waiting for you, please go to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Let us know your name and your email address, and then we'll be sure to drop into your inbox with a really short reminder that a new episode is ready for you. You also have an open invitation to email us. I'd love to know who you'd like to hear on the podcast and what you'd like to see mapped on the 15-Minute Matrix. You can always email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com.